Now, grab your Bibles, if you've got one, and open it to 1 Peter. 1 Peter's hard to find. It's, uh, you've got to find Hebrews and then James, and then you'll find 1 Peter. Now, for those of you who haven't been around a while, this is, uh, we're in the middle of a, uh, I've got three more sermons in, uh, in a series called Spiritual Depression, Its Causes and Cures. So you follow as I read the first seven verses of 1 Peter 1, beginning at verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it endures forever. Guys, I don't expect you to remember anything that I said two weeks ago. I hardly remember it, uh, but um, uh, you may recall, let me refresh your memory. Uh, we talked uh, two weeks ago about, um, I said something like, the. it's amazing how many times in the New Testament that the, the 12 apostles get themselves in trouble in a boat or on water. Remember that? And um, uh, that every time it was a question of their faith. And and I, I made the big point out of Luke chapter 8. My, my big point was out of Luke chapter 8. Where Jesus looks at the 12 and says, where is your faith? And then what I tried to do is, as I closed is to give you an analysis of the issue of faith. And I gave you six little points about... And one of those things is, one of the things that I said, one of those six points was that faith has to be summoned. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't act automatically. Uh, Jesus says, where is your faith? You got it. Now where did it go? Now call it. Get it to work here in, in your present circumstance. But another thing that I said was this, that, um, though the twelve were in the midst of a trial, that my sermon was not about trial. But my sermon was about the depression that trial often produces. It's it's in periods of trial that we find ourselves tempted or um, on the verge of, let's say, uh, falling into some measure of of depression. So so understand, guys, uh, this morning is really kind of the second part of that sermon. What I'm saying again is, though we will be talking about trial... That's not the point of this sermon. I'm not trying to give you a, a instructions or advice as to how you might get out of trial. I'm trying to give you enough input 
that we might avoid the depression that sometimes is a consequence, or at least a tempted consequence, of the trial. Okay? So we're, we're working on that, not so much the trial, but that's what you saw, of course, in the text that I read. That, oh, we'll, I'll show it to you. Now, first of all, what I want to do today is I want to try to break down the text for you and, and to just show you some of its component parts, particularly verses 6 and 7. Um, what I, what I'm going to try to disassemble the text and then reassemble it as we proceed. There are, um, there are several component parts. I want to point out just four of verses 6 and 7. So take a look. <clears throat> the first thing that I want you to see is something that is absolutely intriguing to me. About, and, and, and in one sense, it's the most important thing that you need to know right now. Um, the intriguing part of this text is that it describes a people who are, at the same time, experiencing joy and grief. Look at it in verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while of necessary you have been grieved. This is a group of people at this particular time who are experiencing joy and grief all at the same time. Now, guys, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's counterintuitive at best. But it is not contradictory. <clears throat> guys, um, here's a people in the midst of their trial who have somehow succeeded in working their way onto joy. Now, that might be rare, but it's not impossible. It's not irrational to think that in the midst of my grieving, I can make my way to joy. Now, guys, admittedly, um, what is more natural and normal for us is that in any given circumstance, one of those things tends to dominate. And um, in a circumstance, if if the grieving gets the upper hand, brought on by, notice the text in verse 6, brought on by various trials, then we're set up. We're set up for depression. Don't you just hate that word, various? And some translations say numerous, depending on your translation. But guys, um, we all get a turn. We all get a turn at the grieving. But some of us, some of us make it through to joy. While others of us experience some degree of, of depression. These people... Experience both of those things side by side. And what we want to try to, try to find out today is, how did they pull that off? Now, something else I want you to see in the text. Um, look at verse 6. If this you re, in this you um, rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary. If necessary? What in the world is that all about? <laughs> I mean, who decides what is necessary? Well, God does. 
God sees and knows what it is that's needed in my particular life. And then, and then he, um, <laughs> he sends a certain set of circumstances that is designed to correct or to meet the need that he has seen. Guys, is that a new thought for you? That is that God sends things. I mean, uh, on some occasions you may be, you might want to use another word that he permits things like in John nine, the, the, the man born blind in John nine. But, but listen to this text in Psalm 71. It says, you who have made me see many troubles and calamities. Is, is that a new thought for you? That is that God on occasion, um, sends something because he has spotted a need. That is, if you are experiencing various trials, if necessary, if it becomes necessary, then God sends something um, to address the need that he is seeing. Now, um, the third thing that I want you to see, and on this one you're going to have to take my word for it, because there is in the Greek language um, a, a little grammatical device called a hina clause. Um, a hina clause in the Greek language is a purpose clause. It is introduced by a little three-letter uh, word, hina. That's why they call it hina clause. But it's a hina clause, and it's designed to communicate purpose. And you find one of those beginning verse 7. There it is. So that. Hina, by the way, is always translated so that. Here's my point, guys. There is a purpose in whatever it is that you're experiencing. There is a definite purpose in what it is that you're tasting right now. God um, is up to something. What is he up to? I don't know. (laughs) Maybe, Maybe he's using this circumstance to prepare you for something even bigger in terms of trial. That's what he did with David. You know, he sent bears and lions so that David could be prepared to handle Goliath. Or maybe he's maybe he's just got an assignment for you that is that is particularly large. I can tell you this, ladies and gentlemen, there is an A.W. Tozer quote that has gotten me through a many a dark night. The quote goes like this. Rarely does God use a man significantly until he hurts him deeply. Did you get that? I don't know what he's up to, ladies and gentlemen, but here's my point. You must never, no matter what you're experiencing, you must never forget the Hena clause. You must never forget that there's a purpose in this. Because once you forget that there's a purpose then you become more susceptible to the depression. All that you see being said here in 1 Peter 1 is couched in language that reminds you that there's a, there's a purpose. It's necessary. If you forget that, then you're a sitting duck. One other thing in terms of just the component parts of the text. Um, back in verse 6, he says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while. 
There are limits to it. Whatever it is that you're experiencing, there are limits to it, ladies and gentlemen. For a little while. Uh, it reminds me of the, tech, the first text that I ever memorized as a Christian. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted above that which ye are able. God knows how much you can take. And so... These various trials, they will come and they will go. When it's your turn, when the need exists, and they will come with limits. Limits designed just for you. Now, guys, in in light of those four little component parts, I want to pose this question. How is it that those four things um, were used on the part of this audience to work their way through their grieving onto joy. How did they pull that off? How did they escape depression and find joy in the midst of a difficult time? Um, how, how do these people, um, how, how do they find joy in their trial? You know, guys, I, I, I often think that the, um, the art of Christian living is just the art of asking the right questions. So, that's the first question that I want to ask you. And then what I want to do this morning is just, is just move through a series of questions, hopefully step by step, trying to figure out how it is that these people can experience joy in the midst of their grieving. How did they do that? How is there to be any rejoicing... Um, which is really what we're trying to figure out this morning. How did they pull this off? Okay. Go back with me, first of all, to verse 3 through 5. And let me just show you where you could start. That is, in, in this, this, um, this project of moving through my grief to, my, to joy, here's where you might want to start. You might want to start in verse 3 where it says, He has caused us to be born again. Guys, the first, the, the, I guess the, the first step you need to take is the reminder that God has intervened to stop us on our headlong pursuit to destruction. He has, he saved us. He has caused us to be born again. And then verse four mentions this inheritance that is awaiting us and is, we're gonna get later. And then he says something in verse 5, ladies and gentlemen, which is another ground, another another cause for rejoicing. He says in verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded. You see that? Not only has he saved us, ladies and gentlemen, but God is doing things to protect us, to safeguard us, to keep us, and to... Bring us to the place where we we get that inheritance that is reserved for us. We're safe. He's protecting us. He's guarding us. He is using divine power to guard us. Now, how does he do that? And here, ladies and gentlemen, is where the plot thickens. How does God guard his people so that he can protect them so that they will eventually inherit this thing that's reserved for them? How does he do it? 
Well, there's a lot of, a lot of ways I could answer that, I guess, but primarily, he has put a book in your hands. And in this book is contained some instructions and some definitions and some wisdom and some rules. And one of the ways that we can be guarded is if we we find these rules and instructions in here and we make a decision to conform our lives accordingly to the instructions and the rules that we find in here. He can guard us as we, by faith, um, believe that he knows what he's talking about and conform our lives thereby. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's not the primary way that we learn things, is it? There's another way to learn. It's by experience. We can learn by faith, or we can learn by experience. It's a great teacher. It's just harder. Isn't it? Um, We have experiences where God is guarding his people... And those experiences often include, involve chastisement. Because we have um, chosen not to learn by faith and are going to learn another way, then in the midst of these circumstances, they're usually painful. Now, guys, what is it? What is chastisement? Well, let me hasten to point out that it is not punishment for my sin. God doesn't punish my sin twice. He's already punished my sin in Christ. But what he's doing is training via circumstances. um, And by so doing, we are kept safe. Let me explain. Um, let's say that you have a financial setback. Uh, oh, a recession. And um, in the midst of that experience, you're beginning to learn things about yourself that you never knew. Hmm. You know, guys, in the, in the past probably four months... I probably have had six men say something like this to me. They've said some version of this. They'd say, they they have said, you know, a year ago, you would have never heard me talk like this. A year ago, that is prior to the recession, I would have never done this. What's going on? Well, in the midst of learning via circumstances, I'm beginning to discover things about myself that I didn't know. Because something God saw as necessary has been authored in my life by him so that I can find out things about me. And eventually it brings me to the place where I recognize I don't want to be that anymore. Or how about... um Something as mundane as as arriving at midlife or even old age. <laughs> you know, we um, 
we, we come to the middle of our lives and we discover, you know, life just didn't pan out the way that I thought it was supposed to, you know? <laughs> Gosh, I, I mean, uh, I'm just not, I'm just not where I thought I was going to be. And I'm stuck. I'm bored. I long for action. I long for adventure and and I'm stuck. Or, or old age, even. Um, you know, somebody said that Jesus prepared us to die, but he didn't prepare us to grow old. Yeah, he did. The problem is not that Jesus didn't prepare us to grow old. The problem is that we are now reaping the mistakes of our lifelong flirtations with idols. And they... They, they tend to show up in our old age. Guys, I, I don't know which is worse, the disillusionment or the disillusions of midlife or the, the physical limitations of old age. But I can tell you this. There are circumstances that are designed to train us so that God can protect us for the inheritance that awaits us. Let me use one more. And and, and I think this will, I think only a few, only a handful of you will relate to this. I, I call it simply the desertions of the Spirit. Where God determines that He is going to withdraw. And He's simply going to leave you in the midst of your darkness. Folks, we got a whole psalm about Psalm 88. But, but there is a statement in, in Job chapter 23 where Job says, um, Oh, that I knew where I might find him. Because he's gone. And in the midst of that separation, we begin to discover just how much we value spiritual things. And we discover that they have become way too unimportant to me. And now I cry out, oh, if I could only find him again. Guys, um, all I'm saying is that what God does when he sees things that are necessary, very purposefully, he designs a set of circumstances, or its design is to bring us to our senses. And by his so doing, we are guarded. Guarded from what? I mean, um, how am I supposed to understand this guarding that God is doing in my life? Well, guys, there's a whole sermon about that question contained in Hebrews chapter 12. It's 15 verses, and I'm not going to read the whole thing. But you might want to look at it. might want to turn to it. Um, How am I to understand these things that God is sending my way? 
Well, uh, the author of the Hebrews addresses that. He says, for instance, right in the middle of verse 5, he says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens every son whom he receives. Broadly speaking, ladies and gentlemen, How are you to understand what God is up to in your life? You are to understand it as an action on the part of a father who loves you as one of his sons. Notice in Hebrews 12, verse 10, it says, um, But he disciplines us for our good. God is um, safeguarding us from temptations that could possibly ruin us. And so, he sends certain things that will keep us from being our own worst enemies. Listen to this out of Psalm 119. David says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. Guys, Do you understand that in all of us there is a measure, there is a degree of foolishness? It's called sin. And so what the Heavenly Father does out of love for his children is that he sends certain circumstances that will bring us to our senses. Like what, Jimmy? Well, how about this? How about pride? Am I the only one in this room that wrestles with that? I don't think so. But you know, there is nothing that will... I mean, the the scripture says humility is the the path to grace. And we say, "Mm -mm -mm." (laughs) I've got another path. I'm not going to learn by faith the beauty of humility. I'm going to have to learn it by experience. And so off we go. In the midst of our high-minded arrogance. And so a father who loves you says, I'm not going to let you ruin yourself. And so he sends us circumstance. It will bring us to our senses. Nothing humbles like failure, does it, gentlemen? Or um, maybe maybe it's just self-confidence. That is, you know, I don't de- rely or depend on God anymore. It shows up in my prayer life. I can handle this by myself. So, a God who loves his people sends certain things to remind us that That's the wrong path. Or um, maybe we have become way too attracted to all the values that the world offers. Maybe, Maybe there's too much glitter. Too much bright lights in big city. So seeing that we're on the verge of ruination, the Father sends something. Because he loves us. Smugness. Maybe we're just spiritually complacent and lazy. 
You know, guys, um, have you ever, of course, I guess more men are do this than women. This is kind of vulgar. But, um, I mean, most women take care of their nails and their hands far more than men do. Um, but have you ever torn off a nail and torn it down too deeply? And, and it, you get this immediate jerk in your nervous system? It's, it's called tearing it off in the quick. Have you ever done that? So what God does is orchestrate a set of circumstances that jars you in the, in the nervous system of your soul and basically says, get off that path. But ladies and gentlemen, as I said 15 minutes ago, that often involves pain. Maybe it's nothing more than garden variety lust. You know, the um, physical appetites being satisfied wrongly. So the Heavenly Father does something to keep us from wandering down a path that will ruin us. Tell me, ladies and gentlemen, tell me, tell me, tell me. Do you know anyone that has ruined themselves or their marriages because of foolishness like that. Maybe ruin their careers. Yeah, you do, like I do. And so, how am I to view all this? What is taking place, ladies and gentlemen, is that the Heavenly Father sees a need. And then he designs a set of circumstances with the purpose in mind that we might be guarded from our own sinful tendencies, motivated by his love for his children to extract us from a chosen path that will harm us. How do you make it through to joy? You view it like that. Now, let me do one more thing and I'm done. How, how, are, you supposed to res- how are you supposed to respond in the midst of um, this training lesson that God has you in? Well, if you're still of Hebrews 12, I, I want you to notice that he tells you how not to. There's always a right and a wrong way to respond, guys. And, and may I say to you, your avoiding depression is going to depend on how you respond to what you're in. No, notice what he says in verse 1. My son, by the way, this is how to wrongly respond. He says, my son, do not regard lightly. That is, uh, some of your translation says, do not despise. Don't, don't, I mean, you, you gotta pay attention to this. Um, you gotta take it seriously. Don't blow it off. Um, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. That is, uh, you come to the place where you think, I've had enough. I quit. Throw in the towel. 
or you just resign yourself to whatever it is that you're in. Feeling hopeless and questioning whether God is good and, and uh, wondering why this has happened to me and is God fair? And then in this sermon, he also even mentions in verse 15, see to it that no root of bitterness springs up. All of those guys are wrong responses. But do you see, all three of them are earmarks of depression. If you respond to your circumstance that God has used or is designed to train us, we'll end up in depression most of the time. But then, how am I supposed to respond? I'm supposed to respond like a son. A son who understands that he has a good father. Not an infant, but a son. You know, infants always misunderstand chastisement. But I'm supposed to respond like a son, behave like a son. Um, He says in verse 5, you have forgotten the exhortation. Which exhortation? Well, the exhortation that says, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. My brother and sister in Christ, you can't forget that. If you do, you do so to your own emotional health's detriment. And so, remembering what this heavenly father is doing for one of his children, I stop fighting, I yield, I submit, I I do what he tells me, and I let the word examine me and expose me for the um, foolishness that I've displayed. He even goes on to say over in verse 12, Therefore, lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Basically, come on, guys, buck up. Get moving. Get over it. Get back to a path of righteousness. And then he inserts in verse 11 that this is not going to be fun. None of this is fun in the normal sense of that term, but afterwards, it's going to yield something really good. So guys, um, I hope you stayed with me. That was kind of complex, I'm sure, but how are we going to work through the difficulty into joy? That's how you're going to do it. I'm going to remember that every son that he has, he chastises He does so for my good and because he loves me. He has designed it with limits so that it won't won't swamp me. And he is going to use all of this to guard me and keep me safe so that he can give me the inheritance that is mine and awaiting me. Can you do that? Can um, Can you get yourself out of the depression? Can you... um, Can you thank God for all of this stuff that's going against you? One more verse out of Psalm 119. The psalmist says, It is good for me that I was afflicted. that That I might learn your statutes. Can you say that? This is good. Whatever piece of 
trouble I'm in. This is good. So that the God of loving purpose in my life, that I might learn his statutes and be safeguarded against the tendencies of my own soul to give vent to my own sin, which could ruin me. One more question, I'm done. Are you a son? Is he your father? There's one little statement in that Hebrews 12 passage that I had us look at in verse 12, uh, chapter 12, in verse 2, where he says, We keep our eyes fixed on the author and the finisher of our faith. Ladies and gentlemen, is that Savior your Savior? All of these assurances, all of these instructions are designed to keep safe those people who belong to Jesus Christ. Are you his son? Let's pray. Our Father, I, I do pray that these, um, these statements from your word and my explanations of them will help your people as we wander through some, some tall grass, some, some difficult circumstances uh, when it becomes our turn. And I, maybe it's our turn right now. Maybe, maybe there are those who are in the midst of the high grass right now. Would you allow them to see their way through to joy as they remember some of these things of which they have been reminded this morning? Lord, if you brought people here this morning who have not yet met Jesus Christ, who are not yet redeemed, might you cause them to see that the only life that is promised such or given such assurances is the life of one who can honestly and truly call God his heavenly Father. We uh, commit ourselves to you afresh and do so in Jesus' name.